churches, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, and I, I refuse to get into a, 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 a denominational battle because I'm going to tell you right now, there is no denominations when we get to heaven. I, I'm, I happen to be a part of the United Pentecostal Church. That's just where my license, my ministry license is held, and I, I, I believe that, that they espouse the whole truth of the Bible, but, but that's not what saves me. So this is not an attack on denominations. But I have talked with pastors, talked with churches whose doors are closing because they can't get anybody to fill their pews. Churches that haven't had any new people walk in in years and their congregations just, they stay, but they're getting older and older until finally their, 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 their congregations are gray-haired seniors and saints, but as they die, there's nothing going. There's been churches in O'Fallon that have shut their doors because they have died because there was no growth. And I look out and I see a full house. I see new faces and I see the worship and the vibrant and that excites me. But in the middle of that, I realize that as much as the world begins to, or as much as the church begins to, to, to blossom and, and grow and uh, Brother Jared, you preach Wednesday night about being the light and as much as the church begins to be the light, I realize that means the world grows darker. I got to talk to you a little bit about that today, and 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 I, I pray that you would hear it. I, I I feel just compelled to make sure that we don't lose sight of what matters most. I wonder if we could just close our eyes and if we could pray. We've worshipped. I believe we've got ourselves to the place where you're ready to receive the word of God. Not because I'm preaching it, but because His Word says it. Would you just ask the Lord to speak to you now? Father, I thank you. God, I feel that heaviness. I've, not in a bad way. I feel that, that, that just you're kind of honing our attention and you're making sure that we're ready to see what it is that you want to say. Lord, you brought us to this place. And I ask now that you would let your Word speak very loudly in the mighty name of Jesus and we'll give you praise and we'll give you glory forever and amen hallelujah you can be seated I I have made it a point in my ministry not to get tangled up in politics and get tangled up in sometimes uh, current events Uh, they change so quickly that that I believe it's important to teach the foundations and if we teach the foundations then no matter what happens we'll be strong but if you try to, if you, try to f- you know, teach the problems and just fix the problems, uh, you'll do that all your life and you'll never get anywhere. So I- I've learned just to just make sure people are standing on the, on the, the solid rock. It-, it goes back to that parable that Jesus said of, of, you know, a wise man built his house on the rock, the foolish man built his house on the sand, and both of those will stand for a while until it says the winds and the waves and the stream, uh, the flood begin to beat vehemently. That's one of the, I believe that's what the King James Version says, beat vehemently against it. And the one that was built on a firm foundation stood, the one that was built on the shifting sand fell. So I believe the correlation is if you and I will get our life firmly fixed on the foundation of God's word, then no matter what comes, no matter what assails against us, we'll stand. It's pointless to start building a house from the roof down. (laughs) Can you imagine? 
Any of you that's ever built anything, let's just start on the roof and then let, you'll never get anywhere. But, but there is something and, and, and it, 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 there, there is a, a bit of fear. Not, not, I, I don't mean that completely because I know the Lord is in control always. But I believe it was last week there was something that happened in California. And I know some of us are quick to, you know, just look at California as that crazy liberal place. And, you know, it, it's not really connected to the United States. But I'm going to tell you, there's something that, that is taking place in California that is uh, uh, absolutely an affront to uh, God and His Word. And that is, there is a, a bill that is making its way through the California House. In fact, they passed it. It's now headed to the California Senate. If it passes there, and then Governor Brown signs it into law, it, it has the potential to have huge implications on the church. It, it says, it's, it's the California Bill, AB 2943. It will make it an unlawful business practice to engage in a transaction intended to result, or that results in the sale or lease of goods or services to any consumer that advertise offer to engage in or does engage in sexual orientation change efforts within an individual. What this means, and I'm not, I'm not, this is not my sermon, but it's going to be where we launch from. What it means is there is a, a bill that is passed through the House in California, it's going to the Senate, that says if there is anybody that tries, and, and, and they're, they're looking at, at, at counselors, they're looking at, at, at uh, any type of treatment plants or, or treatment uh, uh, procedures that would try to change somebody's sexual orientation efforts within an individual. If there would be a counselor that would say to someone that believes that they would like to change their sexuality and, be, and if they were born a male and they want to be, be, become and, and change into a female, that uh, in, in the state of California they are wanting to make it illegal to offer that person any type of counsel or any type of, of services that would perhaps change them and change their mind from the path that they are on. I guess for... Some, we wouldn't think about it. But the problem is, if this becomes law, there is no exemption for clergy. There's no exemption from religious institutions. If this law is passed, it will make it illegal for anybody to write a book about how wrong it is for someone to change their sexual orientation. The problem is, there's a book that's already been written that says it's wrong to change your sexual orientation it's found within the pages of the Bible. And so the, the, the fear, the trepidation is that because there is no exemption of clergy, there is no exemption of religious institutions, there is no re- exemptions of the Bible, then it would absolutely be possible for the law to restrict and prohibit preaching from the pulpit against homosexuality or to prohibit preaching from the pulpit and even possibly to ban the sales of Bibles. It is a incredible, and I don't mean that in a good way, time that you and I are living in. We are living in a day and age that is not just happening in California, but we are living in a day and age in which there is an attempt to silence the pulpit, to silence the Word of God, to silence the Bible, to silence the church. Some have said that if a, a preacher preaches against homosexuality in California and receives an offering for that preaching, then he would be in arrears to this uh, uh, bill and he could be 
uh, found uh, uh, guilty of that. And perhaps you and I might here in the Midwest where we still uh, feel a, a, a freedom of, of most religious things and should we really be that alarmed? Well, how long has it been since there was a, a understanding that any opposing view to homosexuality would be labeled as hate speech? How long ago was it before they said boys and girls could be allowed into the opposite restrooms and locker rooms? Or it's, as it's been, there's kindergartners that have been taught that, that all sorts of sexual uh, orientations are okay, even going so far as things such as fetishes have been talked about as normal. It blows my mind when I talk to my grandparents and I, 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 I see the world that they grew up in. And, and then you, you kind of, as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you step back and you look at where we are now. My dad, and I know it didn't originate with my father, but he always told me, he says, you don't remove a fence until you find out why that fence was built in the first place. Just because you don't remember why the fence was built, just because you haven't seen a reason for that fence, there may be something that, 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 that put that up for a reason. And I realize today as we stand here in the latter parts of April of 2018 and you see how far in, a, in what seemingly a short amount of time, how far we have gone from the word of God. It blows my mind. That, that things that as a kid, I, I would have never thought we would fight, faith, face the battles, we fight them now. Yet we don't exist, and, and th- this is not something new. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. One, one of the things that, that, that got my attention is in the book of Amos, uh, you know, these are those minor prophets we don't read a lot about. You know, it's kind of hard to get into it. But in the book of Amos, I was reading uh, yesterday, I believe it was, and it, it just it, it caught me off guard as I, I read it. Amos chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, and this is a judgment of Israel, it says, You made the Nazarites to drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. The Nazarites, they had a vow that they wouldn't drink anything that was on the vine, no grape juice, no wine. They were the ones that, that the, uh, you know, would, would, would wear their hair long, think Samson. All the things that Samson had, had said he would do, it was a vow that he had made to God. But there they said, Israel, God's chosen people said, I know you've made some vows to God and you've given yourself to God, but, but you have to break those. We're no longer going to allow you to do that. And then they commanded the prophets not to prophesy. And if you read the Bible, you will find, especially in the Old Testament, when it comes to the, the, the judgments that God began to cast on Judah and Jerusalem and, and Israel. And one of the things you see over and over was they silenced the prophets. They said, we don't want you to preach to us. We don't like what you're saying. They, 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 they didn't have a word of God in, in a sense that we have. They, you, you couldn't go down to Walmart or a Bible bookstore. You couldn't grab your iPhone back then, your tablet, and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, hook up an, a Bible app. And so they were, in the Old Testament, they were dependent on the prophets that would hear from the word of the Lord and speak to them. In Jeremiah chapter 36, there's something that begins to happen, and I want to... Uh, uh, Take your attention to it, and, and I'll probably paraphrase some of it, so it would be good if you have your Bible, and I sure hope you do, and if, if you don't have your Bible today, uh, by the time I get done preaching, 
If it doesn't convict you to start bringing your Bible to church, I, I don't know what else to do. But, but get your Bible, open it up. Jeremiah chapter 36. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord and it said, Take a scroll. Write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. So Jeremiah called Baruch and it was a scribe and Jeremiah would begin to speak the words that God had put in Jeremiah's heart and that scribe began to write them on that scroll. Jeremiah made a comment later on He said, I'm banned from the house of the king. The king had banned Jeremiah from coming. The king was tired of Jeremiah's prophecies. The king was tired of Jeremiah's preaching. The king didn't want to hear it anymore. So he said, I don't even want you coming. And Jeremiah said, I can't go. But I'm going to write the words down and I want you to take it to him. That was in the the third year. I'm sorry, the fourth year of Jehoiakim. But then the Bible says in Jeremiah 36 verse 9, in the fifth year, in the ninth month, I don't know exactly how long, uh, you know, exactly when in the fourth year he began to write it, but it, it gives an indication that a year had passed as they had written this scroll that God had given Jeremiah to speak. They came and the scribe brought the words of Jeremiah into the house of the Lord. And there in that tabernacle, that temple, he began to preach. He began to read the words of the Lord. This is verse 11. And then he goes into the king's house and he he reads it there and it began to convict those that heard it. From, from, from one after another, they were convicted. And finally, one of them said, we, 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 uh, the Bible says in verse 16, when they heard all the words, they turned to one another in fear. And they said to Barak, they said, we must report these words to the king. Tell us, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? And he said, I, uh, Jeremiah spoke these words to me and I wrote them in the scroll. And so they brought them to the king. And there they put the scroll in the chamber of Elisha, the secretary. And they reported the words of the king. And the king sent Jehuda to get the scroll. And he took it and he began to read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was in the winter house, meaning that there was a fire that was kindled in the fire pot before him. It was cold, and he was sitting there. And the Bible says, as uh, Jedehuai read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire. Yet neither the king nor any of the servants who heard these words were afraid nor did they tear their garments. There was a difference in the response of those that were in the king's house than those that had heard it. other ones. The other ones, it convicted them, but this, they had a disdain for the word of God. And he burned it. You have to think, especially in those days and age, when any time, if you had anything that, that was, was written down, if you had a book, books, and, and again, it wouldn't be books that you and I understand, it'd be scrolls, those were very valuable. If you were going to read a scroll, it meant someone spent days, probably months, maybe even years, writing that. They didn't have printing presses. They didn't have the ability to just, you you, you know, you, you lose a book. You go down to Walmart. You go to Barnes and Noble. You pick up a new book. They didn't have that. And the king said, if I destroy the word, we won't have it anymore. 
When the king, verse 27, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Barak had written at Jeremiah's dictation, he thought he'd gotten rid of the word of God. No longer will the word convict me. No longer will the word affront me. I burned it. We don't have it anymore. We'll never be able to find it again. But the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write everything that I've already told you to write on it. And, and, and I, I want you to, to, to write it. And I want you to know that I am going to punish those that have done this. And you can read it in verse 30 and going over. Verse 32 says, And Jeremiah took another scroll, and he gave it to Barak the scribe, the son of Nera, and wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words on the scroll that Jehoahim, the king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added. And I'd like to just tell you for just a moment, regardless of what anybody, anything, any political party, any nation, anything, wants to do. You cannot burn the book. You cannot destroy what the word of God says. There is nothing that can take the word of God and remove it from our presence. It is the most important thing that you and I have right now. Perhaps never before in history has there been such a concentrated attack on the word of God. You and I are living today in last day prophetic times. And while some may say, well, you're just talking about California to never happen here in America. I'm telling you that the march into the depths of hell continues for America and for the world. We're living in a day and age where people are either tossing the entire Bible out or they're taking a knife and they're dissecting it until the only thing that matters in the Bible. I, I know people that they think the only thing the Bible says is God is love. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18, during the greatest sermon ever preached, the sermon on the mount, let me read it to you. But in Matthew chapter 5 it says... Uh, Do not think, this is Jesus' words, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. First thing you need to understand is there's some that say, well, we don't need to follow anything that happens in the Old Testament. That's in the past. We're under a new covenant. We're under grace. And we are. I preached it before. I forget who it was. I think it was Zane or one of mine. I'm glad we don't go stone our kids when they disobey. I'm glad we don't, you know, uh, 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 have the finality that the Old Testament commandments had. But Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish the prophets. But I've come to fulfill them. For I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away. The King James Version says, every jot or tittle. But the, but, but the English Standard Version says, not one iota are not one dot. Let me tell you what that means. The little dot on top of an eye. The little tick mark that makes a T. That's an iota and a dot. What that means is, the word of God, God says, not even the dot of an eye, not even the cross section of a T shall pass away until all the law is accomplished. Jesus goes on to say, and I don't have time, my goodness, like I said, I'm, I got so much that I want to get out. But he said, therefore, if anyone relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, shall be called the least in the kingdom. That is not a nice statement, although it seems to be. 
I mean, well, at least in the kingdom, you know, that, that's okay. It's like the old song. I don't know if any of you have ever heard it. The old song says, just give me a little cabin on the outskirts of glory. You know, I'll be the least in the kingdom. In, in this understanding, the least of the kingdom don't even make it to the kingdom. He says if there's one person that looks in the word of God and takes out anything and causes others to take it out, they shall be the least in the kingdom. Again, time is rapidly running away from me, but uh, he talks about anger. In the Old Testament, you heard you shouldn't murder. If you murder, you're liable for judgment. But I say that everyone who is angry with his brother could possibly be in danger of judgment. If you insult your brother, you'll be liable to the council. If you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hellfire. That's how much God said, I'm going to take the word and I'm going to keep it going. You've heard, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, this is still Matthew chapter 5, now we're in 27, 28. But I say to you that everyone that looks upon a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He said, I'm not going to let one thing pass away. He goes on to talk about uh, 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 divorce. He goes on to talk about the oaths. He goes on to talk about retaliation. He says, love your enemies. You've heard it says, love your neighbor. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This word is not going away. But as in the days of old, we're living in a day and age in which this world would like nothing better than to shut the mouth of God's word. Shut the mouth of preachers. Shut the mouth of those that would do it. And so there are those that, for, for, for some, they would just like to toss the Bible away. Say, we don't need it anymore. It's not a good book. It's an archaic book. It, it, it's full of crazy things, and, and it's, it's an affront, and surely we don't want to offend anybody. How dare you preach something that might get into somebody's grill? How dare you preach someone that would make somebody say, are you talking about me? How dare you preach something that steps on somebody's toes? You can't do it. Leave it alone. I would tell you, the Bible says, I would rather you pluck out your eye if you keep looking at pornography. Just blind yourself so that you can go to heaven than for you to go to hell with two perfectly good eyes. I'm telling you today, the thing that you and I, and I'm preaching to myself, the thing that you and I need more than anything is for the word of God to hit me right upside the forehead and that every day of my life, I go, God, am I living according to your word? Because I don't want to go to hell the, there's those that say you know we, we, we don't have to follow everything in the Bible you see the, the danger of most things we're pretty good at recognizing the, 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 the farthest horrible thing that can happen okay if someone walks up to you and says, the Bible doesn't matter anymore, throw it away. I don't believe any of you would, would stand for that. Most of us are, are, are recognizing and cognizant of the fact that, that the Bible matters. There was a man named Pete. He, uh, he knew one thing, and he knew it good. He knew that he would never, ever, in his life, eat a chicken 
again. He had gotten to the place where he hoped that he could be forgiven for all of his trips to Chick-fil-A and Raisin Cane's. He had found favor. He was a miracle after all. He would never forget that near-death experience that after accidental overdose where everything was dark and blurry and lonely and a bright light shined to him and he saw seated on the throne in heaven the mighty chicken of the sky. Everybody said he was crazy. He began to share his testimony and he was not discouraged. In fact, the more that people doubted what he said, the more it motivated the claims that he had. He searched until he found the necessary scriptures that backed up his revelation. The first clue was that all of the angels and creatures in heaven have wings. Then he found multiple references in poetic literature that spoke of refuge and shelter and healing in the wings of the Lord. And as the Lord would gather up his chicks like a, a chicken, it, he, he realized that when Jesus cried over Israel and said he wanted to gather them like a hen gathers her chicks, how could everybody have missed it? Y'all are laughing, but just hold on a sec. At this point, most people would have been obvious to the fact that he was still suffering from the side effects of his overdose. That his revelations were extra biblical and illogical. And it was true that Pete had compiled an impressive list of poetry and figurative speech and illustrative prophecies that he believed that supported his his conclusion. But he also believed that the scriptures implied that God was a chicken. Listen. His fervent faith does not make it right. Now it's funny, that comes from a book, a a, a chapter in a book by Landon Grant Davis called The Misplaced Mystery. The story that I just read, and I'm sure it's not true, hope it's not true. But here's what happened, this is how Pete got so far from the truth. First, he searched for passages in the Bible that validated what he wanted them to say. He didn't let the Bible speak to him. You ever talk to someone and, and, and no matter what you said, they only heard what they wanted to believe? Ever done that? They ask you for your help. They ask you for your opinion. They ask you for your counsel. But if it doesn't validate what they're going through, then they throw it away. One of the dangerous, most dangerous things you can do is it's easy for us to get mad at California. It's easy for us to get mad at the atheist that tosses the Bible out the window. But I'm telling you, if you only read the Bible to try to validate something you're already doing, you are going to be just as bad as Chicken Pete. And the things that you believe in isn't going to be right. See, here's the other thing that happened with Chicken Pete. He accepted a conclusion that was not actually stated. Oh, sure, there might be some things that you could twist or, or dance around. He gathers them uh, like, a, like a hen gathers the chicks and the wings and all that. But if God would have wanted you to know he was a chicken, then he would have at least given you one verse in all of the thousands of the verses of the Bible that would have said, Hear, O Israel, here our God is a chicken. But he didn't say that. 
He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In the prophets, he said, I, the Lord, seated on the throne. Beside me there is no other. I am all by myself. I exist in the heavens. The thing that Chicken Pete messed up on is he wasn't familiar enough with the language to understand the figures of speech that he found. And so when he read those figures of speech, he took them and he, he, he wasn't able. And then he began to build a doctrine on what he thought the text implied. Now I know that some of you still can't get past the fact that I preached about Chicken Peak t- today. And most doctrines, most people are never going to be as outlandish as what Pete talks about. But the truth is, the word of God is misrepresented misinterpreted and misimplied more than any other book. It's one of the reasons there are such things as denominations. It's the reason there are thousands and thousands of books that are printed each and every year and each of them is different. And it doesn't mean the truth can't be found, but what it does mean is that you and I better learn it for ourselves. One of the things that I have told you from the day that you elected me as your pastor is don't just take my word for it. Don't just say, oh, pastor preached this. If pastor preached it, it better be because it was in the book. And the moment that I stop preaching what's in the book is the moment you need to kick me out of the church or you need to find somewhere else to go because it's not about what I say. It's about what does God say. There are those that, it, it, it blows my mind. Those that look at the Bible and they begin to remove the parts of the Bible so they won't be convicted of their sin and their lifestyle. I've not had the occasion to read it in its entirety. I do have it somewhere in my library. But one of the reasons I don't use Thomas Jefferson's Bible and he he, he has his own Bible, if you will, it's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. But one of the reasons I don't like it is because Thomas Jefferson, he took the Bible, but he took out parts he didn't like, took out chapters he didn't like, and he began to kind of make it fit. You know, there's those that, that they, they take their Bible and, and they read it, and they say, you know, this part of the Bible, I don't like what it says. So I'm just going to take that out. And you know what? This part of the Bible, it offends me. I'm going to take it out. And you know what? I don't like, I mean, I like everything in this except. I'll do that. That way when I read my Bible, it says, Thou shalt not judge. You ever bother reading the remainder of that? The reason you ought not judge is because how you judge is how you're going to be judged. So if you're arrogant and you just don't like somebody and you judge them because of that, then it's going to be judged to you. But you absolutely have the right to judge as long as you judge according to God's word because at the end of the day, it's God's word that's going to judge you. And so there's those, they begin to take out the places 
anything that convicts them of their lifestyle, convicts them of their sin. Let's remove sin out of the Bible. Let's remove holiness out of the Bible. Let's remove righteousness out of the Bible. Can't talk about homosexuality. Can't talk about this. Can't talk about that. Let's just, God is love and he loves all people and as long as you feel good about yourself, you're going to go to heaven. Some of you, you've been here before and I've ripped Bibles before so it didn't come as any affront to you. But for others, you're completely horrified that I would dare to face this $15 Bible. I was raised by my parents and they did a great job. I was raised by my parents. In fact, my wife, well, she didn't holler at me. She, she convicted me. We'll use that word. She convicted me the other day because I put something on top of my Bible. Any of you raised like that? Can't put the Bible on the ground. Can't put something on top of the Bible. I'd like to tell you that, that I appreciate that respect you have for the Word of God. I appreciate the fact that, 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 that you, 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 you have that. Don't get me wrong, I'm glad for that. That respect is nice, but it ain't going to save you. So let me ask you a question. Those of you that dust your Bible off, those of you that never put anything on top of it, those that make sure it's never hidden away, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you read it? I would much prefer you carry this Bible until it's dog-eared and tattered. I would rather you throw it in your truck so that it's with you when you go to work. I'd rather you get home and it falls out. I'd rather you read it until it falls apart and you gotta go buy another one and read that one until it falls apart because it's not how pretty your Bible is. It's how much do you read it? When is the last time that the Word of God convicted you? I mean, when is the last time that you were reading the Bible and right there it said Brandon Buford, well, for you it would say your name. It said, you're not doing that. Just the other day, literally in the last two days, I was reading in, in, the, in uh, the book of Psalms and then there was another place and I mean God's word jumped out at me. And it couldn't have no more been clear if it would have a marquee that said, Brandon Buford, this is you. When's the last time you read God's word and you said, you know, I'm not following that. If that hasn't happened lately, then you haven't read his word. Because I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how long you come to church. It doesn't matter how often you come and raise your hands and worship. It doesn't matter how much you give in the offering. If the word of God is not convicting you still, something is wrong. Or does the Bible that you read only validate your pretty little life? Jeremiah chapter 15, it's interesting, the more you read it, the more you learn. I, 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 I mean, from the time I was 15 years old, I've known that I was going to preach the word of God. I bought my first, I mean, my, I've had Bibles, I got a Bible and I was dedicated, my parents got me Bibles, I got a Bible when I graduated, you know, all of those things. But I bought my first Bible, my, I bought it, when I was 15 years old at Louisiana 
camp meeting. I was proud of it. It was a preacher's Bible. Black Thompson chain Bible. Calfskin leather. Rice paper. It was gorgeous. I loved it. I never wrote in it because I had kind of, and, and again, my parents didn't teach me that, but you know, sometimes your parents teach you something and you kind of take a different slant from it. It's not what they were trying to teach, but you know, in, in their desire to teach me the respect of the word, I, I never wrote in my Bible. I never did anything. I would, I would read it, but I, I really didn't read it. I, mean, I, I read it like if I was going to preach or read it if I happened to bring it to church, but there was nothing in it that spoke to me. Then I was in on the Gateway, which is now Urshan College. I was in the ensemble, and we were driving. We had this little Chevy Astro van absolutely filled with sound equipment, and, and I had my Bible because I was preaching there, you know, each night and I had my Bible and in my notes. I had it sitting on top of the bass drum right in the middle of the of the of the van. And we were driving down the road and, and we hit a railroad track and I don't know how it happened, but the back door opened on the van. And instead of all the sound system flying out, from the middle of the van, my my Thompson chain leather Bible in its uh, uh, eel skin case went flying out and landed on the ground. Before we could stop the van, somebody jumped out, grabbed it, picked it up, and ran away with it. I'm pretty sure they were disappointed when they realized it wasn't a purse or something like that. I had to go buy another one, so I bought another one, and it's sitting on my chair in there. And I began to write in it. But the more that I am alive, the more I realize how much I need this Word of God to speak to me. There's verses I've learned, but there's more that I've found. Verses like Jeremiah chapter 15. I don't know if you've noticed this, and I, I, for me it, it's hard because I, I like things to flow. We were at youth convention, brother Tim and I were in the back of, we do the, the media and the platform coordination and making sure everything's working, and we're back there, and one of the IT guys was trying to fix it, and I'm running 90 to nothing. He finally looked at me and said, dude, slow down and stop. Because I like things to move. I don't like dead time. I don't like dead space. So no, usually I'd, I'd preach and I'd type out all my, my sermon notes and I'd take the verses out and put it there. But I don't know if you noticed, but I, I've kind of stopped doing that because the problem is I couldn't connect anything. If it wasn't in my notes, I couldn't go any further. So now my desk looks like this all the time. But it's the only way I can let the Word of God speak to me. And the Word of God says in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 6. Now I knew I knew I knew I wrote that down wrong. Let's try Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 3. Or maybe not. I'm telling you, I was writing this down as fast as I could. So because I don't exactly know what I was writing down, which now messes everything that I've trying to tell you in the book of Jeremiah there is a place where he told Jeremiah he said I want you to eat the scroll I want you to pour it down and then in, in Ezekiel in Ezekiel it, it happens again Ezekiel chapter 3 in verse 3 Sorry, Jeremiah 15, 16 is where I should have been. And then in Ezekiel chapter 3, in verse 3, it says, 
He said, he said, Ezekiel, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you. And fill your stomach with it. And I ate it. And it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Then you got to turn all the way to the book of Revelation chapter 10 and verse 10. I'm not, not quite word for word, but close. The voice that he heard from heaven spoke to him, being John, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel that's standing on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel, told him to give me the little scroll. And he said, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I'd eat it, eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And he told me, he said, You must prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So I ask you today, can you get to the place where it's not what you hear and what you listen to? It's not about coming to a a church service and hearing a message. But is the word in you? Is the word in you? You say, Brother Buford, you started in California. What, what does that mean? If that plays out the way that some are playing out, and I'm telling you, it is a, it is a huge battle right now. A battle that will most likely, if it becomes law, find its way to the Supreme Court, and then we're going to see what the highest level of, and authority of our, of our land will say about it. But Steve, if tomorrow they remove the Bible from your home, is it in you? will you not have his word anymore? Well, the Cunningham of tomorrow, they come and they, they ban the sales of the Bible and they silence the preacher and they tear down the house of God. Where are you going to be? I said as I started that we live in this day of unprecedented attacks on the Bible. I really mean that, but I also am cognizant of history. And I realized that some of this has already happened. And the church survived. Because in the dark ages, in the days of the early parts of of what we call the Catholic Church, it became illegal for the average person. If you were not a priest, you were not allowed the Word of God. The Bible that you hold in your hand, regardless of what version it is, regardless of how it was printed, do you realize that, that you, can, you, you can go that back to, to William Tyndale, who, who was one of the very first that took the, 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 the original languages and the Latin, and he, he put it into English, and he was one of the first to kind of translate that, but he was burned at the stake, if I'm not mistaken, because of what he did. The Gutenberg presses came around. But they didn't like it, and so they said, you can't own a Bible. In fact, if you were found with a Bible in your possession, then it, would, it, it was a death sentence. You were burned at the stake. And so what they did, they didn't take the Bible. And they would carefully take out a leaf. More carefully. 
And they would, they would give people because it was easier to hide a little tiny piece of paper than to hide a whole Bible. They would meet in houses and there they would one person would take out that little leaf and they would read that one double-sided page and that word would speak to them it became the most important thing they owned they would get together secretly and, and, and you would share what you had and you would share what you have and you would share what you have and, and it might not even be consecutive you may have four different pages from all parts of the Bible they got what they had and they memorized it until they knew it frontwards and backwards and when they had memorized it they would trade leaves in an entire lifetime they may only get to see three or four or five or six pages of the Bible today you can still buy those leaves you can buy them from the 1600s even earlier than that some of them are thousands of dollars for one page of the Bible I'm asking you. I've never been so burdened in all my life. I'm asking you. What are you going to do when the preacher's not around? What are you going to do when the church is not around? You better have this in you. I'm challenging some of you. It's been a long time since you opened your Bible. You've been faithful to church and you've heard lots of sermons. You'll get about 150 sermons a year if you make every service. And I'm I'm thankful for that. That's awesome. That's not what's going to save you. What's going to save you is for you to look at that Bible and let that Bible begin to convict you. Jesus said, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Translation, if you're not baptized and if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, you're going to hell. If you've not been baptized, that word ought to convict you. If you've not been filled with the Spirit, that word ought to convict you. And you'd ought to begin to say, well, how do I do it? What does it take? I I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do? Well, it's good you ask. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This promise is unto you and to your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And suddenly, the word begins to speak. And you begin to say, I, I, I need to do that. It's an Ethiopian eunuch that's riding down in a chariot in the middle of the wilderness. And Philip runs up to him. And he's reading the Old Testament. He's reading, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, so he was led. And, and Philip runs up and jumps on the, the chariot in the book of Acts. I believe it's Acts chapter 8. And says, do you even understand what you're reading? And he says, no, but it's, it's speaking to me. I just don't understand it. And Philip begins. I don't think Philip carried his Bible with him. 
Philip begins to start from the beginning through the history and the prophets all the way up until the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection. And when he got done talking about the word of God, that Ethiopian eunuch says, you know, here's water. We're at an oasis. What doth hinder me? Because the word of God's been speaking. I'm preaching to someone as you stand right now. The convicting presence of Almighty God is here. I've done what I can do, but it's got to be you, and it's got to be you getting into the Word, and it's got to be you letting the Word of God speak to you right now.